Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined once again by Colin Haas-Hill. And Colin, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm a little exhausted right now because the past 24 hours have been pretty busy for those of us who cover Ohio State football for a living. Yeah, but it also juices me up a little bit because we have spent the last however many months talking about this hypothetical of whether there will be a season. And yes, even in Ohio State's statement today, Gene Smith made it very clear that everything is an if there's an actual season. But the fact that the Big Ten actually dropped its schedule today, and, and obviously there's been so much other news happening in the last 24 hours, like you mentioned, it does feel like it's good for a moment at least to talk about football as if you know, it's at least somewhat normal. Absolutely. Like yesterday, uh, we're, we're actually recording on Wednesday. Uh, if you've been waiting for this podcast episode to drop, we're coming at you a little later because we wanted to be able to react to all the news, and it was definitely the, the correct decision uh, based on everything that happened on Wednesday morning. Uh, but uh, Tuesday, we got to talk to uh, the, the team captains who were named on Tuesday, and we'll, we'll get to that a little later. But just getting to talk to players again, like – we hadn't we hadn't done that in months. So just getting to talk to players again, getting to write stories about actual live quotes from players instead of quotes from players from months ago. And uh, Ryan Day is supposed to talk to the media tomorrow. So it does. It you finally getting that feel like it's football season again. Fall fall camp is starting tomorrow. Now will this all last? We'll see. Will there actually be a season? We'll see. But. I think for this episode, we we can't we we're going to proceed forward with like it is going to happen. Like these are the things that are happening now. We've talked a lot about uh, COVID nineteen and and the reality of this season might happen and this season might not happen and that reality has not gone away. But uh, with all the developments that have happened in the past day or two, uh, it gives us some fresh stuff to talk about, uh, which is always fun. I will take that. So if we just want to, I mean, I don't even necessarily know how we should break the schedule down, but it is worth diving into this because we've we've talked a lot about it. And, and the interesting thing is like nine of the conference games all remain the same. We just now know the order of them. And we also know which cross-divisional opponent Ohio State will play, which of course is Purdue. But I mean, I don't really think that we can necessarily dive into the schedule without starting with Michigan. Yeah, no doubt. I think when, when we're talking about Ohio State football, we're talking about a new Ohio State football schedule, the headline is always going to be Michigan. And it's especially going to be the headline when we're talking about Ohio State and Michigan potentially playing each other in October, which seems weird. I mean, just looking at the schedule, we have a schedule page on 11warriors.com. And just looking at that schedule page right now and seeing Michigan in the middle of that schedule instead of the end of a regular season it just feels so weird because we're so used to that Ohio State-Michigan game being at the end of a regular season. But the Big Ten looking to create flexibility here. Certainly Ohio State and Michigan hoping that game is going to happen one way or another. And they've decided that the, the best time to schedule that game is October 24. So that's the plan right now would be uh, the first time since 1933 that Ohio State and Michigan have played each other before November. Now the question is, is this actually going to make a difference? Does, does moving the game up one month to October 
Do we think that really actually improves the chances that the game is going to be played? Yeah, I think that's a fair question to ask. I, I felt like I was being a little dumb earlier in the day when, when I was, I think I messaged you and, and Kevin, our other co-worker, Kevin Harris, and asked, like, and is, is there something I'm missing? Uh, I, I, I get, I understand why, why the Big Ten, Ohio State, and Michigan want to move that game up. I really do, because otherwise... You put that thing at the end of the season, and you're really risking the fact of, of whether you need to push things back, whether that actually gets played, whether there's a cancellation earlier in the season that, that forces you to you know end the season after five or six games. And you know, I, for that reason, I, I do understand why it gets moved up. But if I'm being honest, I don't totally really get the October 24th placement. If you had put that thing in September, I would have understood. But where it is right now, you have one bye week afterward, and it's already the seventh game in Ohio State's schedule. So the flexibility you get, it's there. It's just so limited. And, and to me, you're sort of just splitting the difference between going all the way and putting it among one of the, I don't know, two, three first games of the season. Or, you know, you keep tradition and you hope that things stay the way that that everybody wants them to, and Ohio State gets to play a 10-game season, you keep it at the end. But where you have it right now, I, I'm the the benefits really do seem fairly limited to me. And, and I'm not sure there is a correct answer, but I'm also questioning whether this is the right move. Yeah, I, I think we, we knew it was going to be moved up. That was all the chatter. I thought it was going to be moved up a little bit earlier than it was because – I do agree with you that I, I do think that it's somewhat limited uh, in terms of you know the added flexibility. There is some there. There's, both teams have a bye week on November 14, but that's actually a bye week for the entire Big Ten East. And if you look at that October-November block, you've got Michigan State, Michigan, Maryland, Penn State all in a row. So basically the idea is, well, you could move any of those four games to that spot, but you know, I, I kind of feel like if there's an interruption in the season, you know, chances are good it's going to take out multiple games at a time. And we're talking about 14-day quarantines for COVID-19 and such here. I, I don't know. I, I, I get it. Uh, and, you, and you've got now that traditional week that Ohio State-Michigan would be played. That's now a bye week for everybody. Again, with the idea that if the start of a season gets pushed back, you could move games there. So I, I get that rationale of it, but I, I agree with you. I, I, I think I would have thought you'd move the Michigan game up even earlier. Not necessarily week one, but move it, move it up even earlier. Move it to September so that you really increase the chances of that game being played. Yeah, because right now, like if the goal is flexibility, if the goal is to get that game played, like if you're Ohio State... I think the goal is to play those major games, and those major games on the schedule right now, like if we're being honest, it's really just Michigan and Penn State, and then everything else is at you know a, a different level. And Michigan right now, October 24th, Penn State, November 7th. I think Ohio State has a pretty long lead-up to that of games that are very, very winnable and that they should be favored by multiple touchdowns and and literally every single one of them. And, and I would have expected Michigan... To, to, to be, you know, either late September or early October, somewhere a, a few weeks earlier. But I will say, Dan, it's good that we get to complain about this <laughs> because 
I have personally yeah. been waiting so long to actually complain about something as menial as when Ohio State plays Michigan that it's nice to actually get this vibe back. Well, just to be clear, I'm not complaining. I mean, I'm not. I'm. I'm not. I mean, personally, debating. How about that? Yeah, I mean, personally, especially at this point, from just a you know tradition standpoint, schedule standpoint, any of that. I really don't care when the Ohio State-Michigan game is played. I just hope that it is played. That's that's all that I care about at this point. I think a lot of people uh, are in that same boat. I think it's more just a practicality question of it here of, you know, if you're, if you're talking about trying to improve the odds of that game being played, well, now you've put it in a block for Ohio State, smack dab in the middle of a block of five games. So does that necessarily, like if you had it after a bye week or something, maybe that's, okay, maybe now you're improving your chances because, you know, if, maybe if you have that week off, you're, you're decreasing the likelihood of, you know, another game that could lead to a COVID-19 outbreak and, you know, could call off that game. So I think it's just a question of, you know, why October 24? I think that's a valid question, but I don't really know that we've gotten an answer yet. But, you know, the other thing is, one thing we know is it, if this season ultimately gets to a point where it's decided, okay, we think we can play, but we're not going to get 10 games, that's going to be the last game to go. That's That Ohio State-Michigan game, that, that's going to be the number one game that they attempt to pre- preserve because it's by far uh, the Big Ten's uh, biggest revenue driver, uh, biggest big-ticket game. Uh, best TV ratings every year, so that's the game they're going to try to preserve. And you know, I think even that, that that TV network piece is probably a part of this. That uh, probably isn't being talked about much, but it most likely was a factor in these conversations uh, with Fox wanting to get that game on. You know, whatever it thought would be uh, a good date for its schedule. And when you look at uh, that also being a game day for the World Series, uh, that could potentially have been a decision uh, partially made by the desire of Fox to have that Ohio State-Michigan game as a lead-in for the World Series, which which could potentially mean a free Faraday game instead of a noon game. Yeah, I mean, that, that you know, those are all reasonable points that, that you make. I would say that if, if that was specifically the driving factor of it, why not move it so you actually ensure it gets played and put it earlier in the season? And I, and I would say that uh, too about the Penn State game because the Ohio State Penn State games lately throughout the past few years have been so good, and I expect that this one will be you know either the two best teams in the Big Ten or two of the best teams in the Big Ten going at it. So to see that in November seventh, all I can say is I'm we're all going to cross our fingers and say that we hope those games get played. But um, I will I'll also say like I don't know about you Dan, but. Like this is this is such a weird year that I I really didn't have any problem of moving Michigan moving the Michigan game around uh, and and I think that Ohio State players said that as well um, and and I do think it was interesting though that like you see a Wyatt Davis and a Justin Fields talk about how you know they they really don't care when the game is they just want to go in and beat the brakes off of Michigan and and Jonathan Cooper said. You know something similar and then you had Josh Myers say that you know I would like the game to be at, at the end of the season that would be my preference it's a, it's a little bit of a tough question but I would still um, I, I would still just prefer to play them at any time so I, 
I, I thought that that was an interesting perspective because I think there are a lot of fans who grow up as Ohio State fans, and, and this is in their blood, and they really have an attachment to that being the last game of the season more than everybody else. So I think that internally, the way that Ohio State sees it, I, I really don't think that it was a, as big of a deal to keep it at the end of the season. I just thought maybe it was going to be a little bit earlier. Yeah, I think that's very true. I mean, Urban Meyer was on BTN this morning as well, and, and he said it was, quote, heartbreaking yeah, that, that the little, game... Yeah, that was a little much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, but... But, but again, that, that speaks to the psyche there. I mean, you, you we know how much Urban Meyer loves the rivalry game. I mean, we, we, we know from his time as Ohio State's coach that how much he just loves that game, and he's one of those people. He wants that game to be played, the last game of the regular season, on... Uh, at the end of November, that's you know that that is that is the tradition, and I and I totally get it. But the reality is, we've got to accept what we get this year. We've got to appreciate what we get this year. Uh, you know, we, we we all have to accept that if we're lucky enough to get a football season this fall, it is not going to look anything like a normal football season, and we have to be happy with what we get because uh, I think for those of us who love football, you know, if football can safely be played this fall. Uh, I, I would hope we can all agree that something's better than nothing. Dan, would you are you someone who believes that where this game played is played on the schedule? It really doesn't matter um, the, in the ultimate result. Or do you think that this could potentially give Michigan some sort of a, a I don't want to say an advantage, but it makes it more realistic that Michigan could beat Ohio State when you put that thing in the middle of the season. Yeah, not really. I, I, I think because I, I, I think no matter when it's played, I think Ohio State is still going to have that same approach uh, to, to, to play in that game. I, I mean, I think, I think the thing that's interesting is I look at it, I look at the schedule and I say, okay, you know, a Michigan State on October 17, a Maryland on October 31. You've got Michigan State right before Michigan. You've got Maryland right between Michigan and Penn State. Are those maybe the games you look at as trap games for Ohio State? Because, you know, maybe they're looking ahead to Michigan. Maybe they're recovering from Michigan, and now you got to play Penn State. I mean, that, that's a part that's going to be a very interesting variable if this schedule is played the way it is. is you know, you, you've, just got, you've got Michigan just in the middle of your regular season. And, of course, you, know, you usually have the Big Ten Championship game after that, but, you, you know, there's, there's just so much buildup over the course of a season to, to play Michigan. I don't think any of that's going to change in, in terms of Ohio State's perspective, but it's interesting that, you know, you, you're, you know, especially if things get moved back because, you know, you've got those September games that are scheduled right now, but, you know, there's the potential those could be moved back into November, and who knows? I mean, maybe, you know, Michigan could become your fourth or fifth game of the season, and then maybe you've got half the season left to play after Michigan. It, it, it's going to be interesting, and I and I and I, I actually think it, it 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 maybe doesn't matter for Ohio State right now because you know this is a team that's chasing national championships. They're chasing Big Ten championships. They're chasing bigger goals. But I'll be interested to see. They talk so much about the 365 days a year thing uh, for Michigan. How are you going to approach that in November when you've already played Michigan? And you're not playing Michigan for 13 months. Yeah, I think that'll be a little bit weird. Um, it is. They'll probably do whatever they do during the Big Ten Championship and lead up to a playoff, which is 
you probably mention it, but it's probably not the, the focus. And, and, yeah, I mean, those little things are going to be really weird, I think, even just in the day-to-day of the players. But I think if we're going to look at the, the rest of the season as a whole, I think it's probably worth just going sort of game by game, starting from the front. And you can probably just put the Illinois and Rutgers games together. When you start the season at Ohio State, typically, you know, in that first month, you're going to play two non-conference opponents that are just trash. And the goal is to beat them by 60. And that's what happens basically every single season. And that's what, uh, if I remember, was it Buffalo and Bowling Green were on the schedule this year? Um, And instead of them, I guess the Big Ten just said, you know what, Ohio State needs that anyway, so we're going to give you Illinois and Rutgers to to start the year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, those are basically two preseason games for Ohio State. I, I think the, the only thing that's interesting about it is that they decided to move the Illinois game to Thursday. They're actually moving up the start of the season, yeah. which feels like a bold decision to me. And we're talking about four weeks from now, uh, playing that playing that first game, and so much of it needs to happen. But they're actually, again, surely a TV network guided decision here of, of wanting to get that uh, Thursday night slot when most other conferences that would have played that night have canceled. Uh, so surely a TV-driven decision there. Uh, but interesting that Ohio State uh, could be playing, actually could be playing back-to-back years Thursday road openers because they're scheduled to play uh, at Minnesota on a Thursday to start next season as well. Yeah, that's a little bit of a weird one. Um, but I guess two days isn't going to change the world if, no. you're, if, you're, if you're talking about that. But I think that the thing... I thought what's interesting about this is, you know, we, we've spent so much of this offseason talking about the, the changes on the defense. We spent so much time talking about, you know, youth at certain positions on offense. You have, you know, you're bringing in Trey Sermon um, as the new starting running back. You also have guys like Master Teague and Marcus Crowley coming off injuries at wide receiver. You have a bunch of new young guys who I think are, are, are really intriguing but you also aren't 100% sure what you're going to get right away. And I really do like the way that this this schedule sets up for them in a lot of ways, but it really does begin with these two games because there's quite literally 0% chance that Ohio State drops either of these games. And if, if this puts me on, I don't know, cold, freezing cold takes, that's perfectly fine with me because there's it's not going to happen. And and instead, I think that the, the, the way that they'll approach these is they're going to get a lot of guys playing time, and they're going to to evaluate what they have, see what works, and get guys you know involved in in the college football season as quickly as possible. And I think that that really matters, especially when you're turning over a defense that has so many new pieces. Yeah, and let's be real. Uh, it, it, if this season starts in September, I think the first couple weeks of a season are going to be extra sloppy compared to how they usually yep. are. If the way that this offseason has been, uh, I think you're going to see some sloppy, rusty football uh, in the early weeks of this season. And so if you're Ohio State, I think it absolutely sets up well for you that you get two games that you really should be able to work out the kinks before your new third game of the season, which is at Purdue, which history would tell us could be a dangerous game. Yeah, if I'm correct, I think they're three and five all time playing at Purdue, which is sort of a staggering stat. And and also, 
Like, there are a lot of players on this team that remembers the last time they played at Purdue. And I think I remember after that game looking at their future schedules, and I believe maybe they're scheduled to play them in two or three years, but that game wasn't going to come around for a while. And the fact that they see the Boilermakers so quickly after two years ago, them they, they were the sole reason why Ohio State didn't make the playoffs. They got smoked 49-20. to 20. And, and, and an unbelievable uh, performance by Purdue, honestly. Um, and to go back to the scene of the crime, as, as I'll call it, uh, I think that that's a fascinating game that they should absolutely win. But I would be lying to you if, if I said that recent history wasn't at least in the back of my mind when I'm thinking about how that game will play out. Yeah, I mean, I, I would bet, you know, if you're a player, if you were on the team in 2018, I would bet a lot of the players are going to be looking forward to that, to actually yep. get to go uh, play at Purdue this year, get that chance to get revenge. Yeah, I think that that'll actually play in Ohio State's favor. Like, yes, the, the, the history of the matchup is a little bit daunting to Ohio State fans, I'm sure. And also the fact that Purdue still has Rondale Moore probably isn't awesome. But... Um, I, I, I legitimately think this is one of those intangible things that it helps. Nobody is going to overlook look Purdue because nobody on this Ohio State team that was around two years ago will allow that to happen. And and because you're playing Illinois and Rutgers the first two yes. weeks, so <laughs> you, you're not you're not you're not going to have any games leading up to Purdue that you're going to be worried about. So that that's going to be the game that first month of the year. You know that's the game on this current schedule that's going to be the circled game. Yeah, I, I think that that's a fascinating matchup, and it'll be a real test for Ohio State's new-look defense. I think that that's, that's I, if we're going to talk about like what are the, the five or ten best matchups just positionally, I think Ohio State's defensive backs against what Purdue does through the air will be, will be fascinating because obviously we're not going to get a great test of that in the first two weeks. Um, that will be the first time that we're really going to get, get a chance to see what what Ohio State has back there, and and I think both of us would say, if that's not the number one question for Ohio State, that's right up there, one or two or three. Yeah, Rondale Moore and David Bell, that's probably the best tandem of receivers in the entire Big Ten. I know Ohio State fans are going to say Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, but uh, David Bell and Rondale Moore are the last two Big Ten freshmen of the year. Uh, Rondale Moore was one of the best players in the entire country two years ago uh, before he got hurt last year. So if those guys are both healthy and don't opt out and, and they're playing, uh, that's going to definitely be a real test for that Ohio State secondary. The week after that, Ohio State has a home game at Indiana, and it's the last um, last game of September and also the last game before the first bye week. Um, of course, that's a tentative bye week. Who knows what will happen? But we're living in a world where college football is normal for at least the next hour, hour and a half. And I personally, if I were making a list of the games on Ohio State's schedule that, you know, probably don't look threatening, but, you know, if you're looking for one of those middling teams to catch Ohio State, like Iowa did in 17 and Purdue did in 18, I think Indiana might be number one on my personal list, and I don't know what you think about them but but that's that's an interesting game to me it is at home i should note that yeah indiana wouldn't be number one on my list i mean i think indiana is a, a solid team but you know i i also think back to last year when indiana had its best season in 25 years and they got smoked by o- ohio state yes, uh this is a team that hasn't that has lost its last 24 games against o- ohio state so uh 
not saying that they're a bad team and if there's not any trap game potential there, but uh, that one at home, not that home field advantage is going to be a big thing this year, but uh, at home against Indiana, I, I can't say that one. It looks too scary to me. Here's the thing. When when you're talking about what Ohio State has, I and I wrote this earlier today, I think Ohio State should run the table against this schedule. Like I, I, I think it should, but if I'm trying to trying to pick pieces together of you know what might be something dangerous i do think when you face mike pennitz and you face he, he's got he's got some decent weapons at indiana that obviously probably don't compare to what ohio state has but ohio state's lost less talented teams in the past and, and tom allen has been good generally defensively and and i do think that ohio state will be favored by what i don't know 17 20 something that that week. at least yeah at least so sure i'll pick ohio state but if i'm looking for something that might be a trap sure indiana might be the one that that comes to mind to me personally and i know you mentioned michigan state maryland earlier and and we can talk about all these um later but um i think indiana is just interesting as as where they are as a program and they need a big win like that and i I'm sure that they would want nothing more than to do it in Ohio Stadium. In fact, I I do think this is going to be a, a, a year that we're going to see some wacky stuff happen in college football because uh, just for the circumstances of everything, I, I do think this is going to be a year where we could see more weird upsets than ever in college football. So while if I'm running through the schedule on paper – yeah, I'm going to pick Ohio State in every game because yes. there's just not another team in the Big Ten that should be able to beat Ohio State. That doesn't mean I don't think something wacky's going to happen. And, there's, I mean, there's still so many variables uh, that can play in. I mean, you just look at the fact, I mean, this is a season. Again, right now we're talking about all these games with the assumption that everybody who's currently on Ohio State's roster is going to play this season and that they're going to be healthy to play. But... There are so many different variables between opting out, between guys having a quarantine, different things that could happen that, you know, Ohio State might not necessarily be at full strength in all of these games. So I think that's a factor, too, uh, that when you think about the way the season could play out, you know, the Buckeyes certainly look like they should be favored in every game, but uh, there's definitely uh, some potential for things to get weird here. Yes, as there always is. Um, so there's the off week after the Indiana game. And then I guess we can probably group the Nets two together because they're in a similar spot to me, which is you face Nebraska at home and then you go at Michigan State. And I think I have no idea what to expect from either, but I just assume that Ohio State will be in the position to, to roll both of those teams because Nebraska has just not gotten it together with Scott Frost at the helm. And, and sure, I think you know there's there's a lot of people who are still believers in, in, him, in, in him, including me. But at this point, you absolutely have to see it before you, before you crown him or, or, or really expect him to to put up a challenge to Ohio State and then when they go to Michigan State I mean this is Mel Tucker's first season I think that they're going to have to um, this is not a reloading situation in my opinion the job he's taking over I think this is more of a rebuilding situation I expect that those two games probably won't necessarily be close Dan do you agree or do you think that there is some I don't know 
trap game potential. I guess we're just going to have to continue using that word because that's the word for when Ohio State faces a bad team that it shouldn't lose to, but maybe does. Yeah, I mean, I don't think either of those games should be close, but you know, when you do and you look at this weird schedule and you think about preparing for a Michigan game in October, things could get weird. I mean, I look at a Mich- Michigan State would be the one that I'd look at. You know, Nebraska, I feel like two years in a row now I've I've hyped up Nebraska as some uh, team that could be dangerous for Ohio State, and they haven't come close. So uh, until they do it, I'm out on Nebraska. But uh, Michigan State, that that's one I look at going on going on the road to play Michigan State one week before playing Michigan. That's one I look at as maybe a sneaky, dangerous game. Yeah, I just don't because I couldn't name you more than a few players on Michigan State's team because they have turned over so many players and their entire coaching staff is different. And I think that the hardest thing to do this year is to implement an entirely new scheme and have an entirely new head coach and and new players at key positions. And that's what Michigan State's trying to do. And sure, maybe by mid-October, they will be in a better position. They will be at the beginning of the season. But I'm just personally... I am going to say that's pretty low on my on my list of, of teams that Ohio State should watch out for. So then you've got Michigan, October 24, and I mean we already talked about that game. Very weird. Yeah, it, it it's very weird. Middle of the season, it's it's it's, it's going to be weird. Uh, but certainly, you know, I mean, certainly, the thing that doesn't change is that's going to be the biggest game of a regular season, no matter when it's played. That's going to be the game that everybody looks forward to. Uh, you know, we, we heard it from Justin Fields and Wyatt Davis yesterday. They want to they wanna beat the brakes off Michigan. Uh, so uh, the intensity of that game, no matter when it's played, I don't think is going to change one bit. Nope, I agree with that. And next up will be at Maryland, which, let me tell you, that just sounds like a real barn burner to put between Michigan and Penn State. Yeah, I mean it's it's it, it's a weird spot right between you know Michigan and Penn State, which is where you'd think, uh, you know, very, maybe again maybe there's the potential for something weird to happen. I mean, we almost saw something real weird happen when Ohio State went to Maryland two years ago. Uh, we saw Ohio State go to overtime, uh, and sure that was you know one of the worst defenses in uh, Ohio State history, but. Yeah, there's some we just talked about. There's there's some questions of Ohio State's defense this year too. Again, trying to a new coordinator potentially making some scheme changes, inexperienced secondary. I I do I I have said it before, and, and you know the weirdness of this season only amplifies this. I, I don't think this is going to be a repeat of last season and where Ohio State just rolls and rolls and rolls every opponent. I think there's going to be some closer games this year. I think I think there's going to be a couple of these games against teams that they should blow out that they're not. And I'm not saying they're going to lose, but I, I do think there's going to be some I do think there's going to be some closer games this year. Uh, and I don't, I don't know. It could be Maryland, Indiana, Michigan State, Purdue, Iowa, who we'll get to. Uh, it could be any of those teams. But I, I do think there's, there's going to be some, some closer games. So that's another game I just look at with where it's positioned on the schedule. I don't write it off as a game that could be more interesting than it should be. Yeah, I guess I don't, I don't, I don't totally write it off, but I'm, but I'm pretty close to totally writing it off. <laughs> and I know what happened two years ago, but I also know that the difference in talent between those two teams is stark, 
and I don't necessarily think that Mike Loxley's and, and his staff are going to be the ones to, to pull the upset on Ohio State. The next week at Penn State, and I think that this is this is a fascinating game because you know typically in November you you, you wait all year for November for the Michigan game. And this year, you're going to wait until October for the Michigan game, and that's going to happen. And then you still have to have your antennas up because two weeks later, going to Penn State in November. Dan, what do you think about that? I mean, it'll be it'll be significantly different in that the whiteout that you normally have there, that's not going to happen. I mean, who knows if there will actually be fans there. I'm still very skeptical about that. But either there will be no fans or there will be a tight capacity on fans. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be weird having you know a Michigan game and then having another you know really marquee game. I mean, your your second biggest game at a regular season, you know, two weeks later, it, it it's it's definitely gonna be different. But it is gonna give something to look forward to if the schedule uh, plays out the way it's scheduled. You know, that game you know, being in November. I mean, we've seen it that Penn State, you know, the past four years has consistently been the toughest competition for Ohio State. In, in, in the Big Ten, we've seen, uh, you know, great games uh, between those teams, uh, you know, especially uh, 2016, 2017, 2018, just, just great games between those teams. So uh, you'd expect another competitive game because you look at Penn State uh, losing a star player in Micah Parsons, who sounds like he's going to opt out of a season. But still, if you look at the talent across the board, there's no team that can stack up to Ohio State on a pound-for-pound talent perspective, but Penn State's the closest. Penn State it, overall has the most talent, the most well-rounded roster of any team outside of Ohio State. So if there's any team that you expect you know, to give Ohio State a really good game in the Big Ten, you would think Penn State in its home stadium. Yeah, Penn State. Penn State is the one, and I think that it'll be fat. I, I just think it'll be a difference of perspective when we are normally thinking about you know, Michigan being that game, and instead Penn State's the, the real last marquee game. And after that home game against Iowa, which comes after a bye week, and I guess, what is that, two weeks before the Big Ten Championship? Um, which, that's, I guess, a little bit weird placement, but if we're being honest, like, what are the odds it stays like that with one bye week um, between Penn State and Iowa? I'm not totally convinced that, that that is how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're if you're betting on this ten game schedule being played out the way it's laid out right now, that would be a poor bet. <laughs> I think the odds would be very highly in favor of these ten games not being played the the way they're scheduled right now. And I'm not I'm not saying none of them are going to be played. I'm not saying they they won't necessarily all be played in a different order, but. I, I think it's pretty unlikely that this schedule is going to go off without a hitch. I mean, I think even the way it's designed, it's designed with that expectation in mind that you know there's a good chance the start of a season is going to get pushed back. There's a good chance there's going to be games that need to be rescheduled, and you know that's why you don't have a game scheduled for Thanksgiving week. That's why you could potentially move the Big Ten championship game back as much as two weeks. Uh, because it's currently scheduled for December 5, but uh, some of the other conferences aren't playing their championship games till December 19. So there's a lot of flexibility in here. I mean, Gene Smith had talked about that a month ago. Uh, Kevin Warren continued to talk about it today. That flexibility is the big 
key here in terms of building this schedule, and it's why the Big Ten is going to try to play earlier than anyone else, at least in the Power Five, because they, they want to give themselves that flexibility, and they know there's a very real chance they're not going to be able to play that first week of September. But if they can, they like to give themselves that flexibility so that they have more opportunity to still play a full season if games need to be canceled later. Yeah, and I'll say this about Iowa real quickly. Personally, like they're they're on my list of teams that I think is fairly talented enough to, to give Ohio State at least somewhat of a of a run, even though I think Ohio State will be a multi touchdown favorite. But just given the tumultuous offseason they've had I guess maybe by November they can have put it together, but I am not exactly banking on them being a Big Ten title contender. Well, again, I think you know if you just look at the schedule as currently constructed, Iowa's a game that's dangerous when it's in the middle of a block of games in yes. October and you might overlook it. Iowa off a of bye week in a regular season finale at home, that doesn't, that doesn't look nearly as dangerous. No, not at all, and and I think that's um, a key point you make, and and I also think that's where, if the season actually were to play out as it's currently constructed, Ohio State really should run the table. Ohio State will be a heavy favorite against all but two teams, and those two teams are Michigan and Penn State, and I think just about everybody's going to pick Ohio State to beat those two teams, so... Congratulations, Ryan Day. You made the playoffs in your first year. You blew out everybody in the regular season. Now the expectation is that in year two in the regular season, you run the table. <laughs> sounds like a sounds like a pressure patch job, but that's where Ohio State is as a program, and that should be you know that should be celebrated by Ohio State fans. Well, the other thing that's weird about it too is, like again, if if we if we assume there's going to be a Big Ten championship game, and if we assume there's going to be a college football playoff. Like, you think of what that end-of-season stretch usually is. Like, you think of last year, and you go Penn State, Michigan, Big Ten Championship game, boom, 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 like that. This year, especially if, you know, things get pushed back, I mean, you could have a month or more between your last really big game of a regular season, a Penn State game, and a potential Big Ten Championship game. So that's a different dynamic, too. I'm not even sure whether that necessarily helps or hurts Ohio State, but that's a different dynamic too where you could potentially, you know, you could potentially have a layoff before that Big Ten Championship game and, you know, you could, you know, you're not going to have that typical like really, really ramp up at the end of a season where you go right from Michigan to the Big Ten Championship game. Like you, 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 you have a break in there. I shouldn't say a break because you could have games moved around, but it's just going to be a different dynamic. Like let you know, let's say, you know, let's say Ohio State beats Michigan and Penn State. At that point, Ohio State will most likely have clinched the Big Ten East. So then you know you could go, you could clinch the big a spot in the Big Ten championship game a month before you even play it, which would be a very different dynamic from a usual year where a lot of times that Big Ten East title is on the line when you play Michigan. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And that's where the caveat to everything that we have now just discussed for the past 40 minutes is that everything could change. <laughs> and and I feel like, I think some people really didn't like the fact that Gene Smith included that in the statement that he that he gave today. And, and, and I get it, I understand that, but guess what? Like, that's the world we're living in, and that's the world where, yes... 
on one day we can talk about the schedule um, getting announced, but literally two days ago, two Big Ten teams paused their workouts. And that's where we are. So, like, I, I, I understand the optimism, but at the same time, like, there is some realism, there, there's some realism that's needed here, too, which is no one really knows if we're actually going to be able to to see any of this happen. But that's why, in spite of that, it's nice for a little bit of normalcy to at least get the chance to discuss it. Yeah, I mean, the reality is COVID-19 isn't going away. It, it's not going away this year. So hopefully we have a season, but we're going to be talking about this all year long. I mean, it's just, it's just a reality. We're, we're, this just isn't going to be a situation where even if the season starts, where we can just put this on the back burner. It's, it's going to be there. Things are going to be different. Uh, there's, there's going to be a looming threat the entire season. Even if it starts, there's going to be a looming threat the entire season that the season could end at any time. So, so we just got to be prepared for that. We just have to deal with that reality. Uh, but the, the good news is there is at least a plan in place now. Because we, we, we had so many months where we didn't know the plan. There's a plan now. There's a schedule. There's medical protocol. Camp is starting tomorrow at Ohio State. So, so there's a plan. They, they, we're, we're finally in the stage where the wheels are moving forward. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to reach their destination, but we're on a track toward if we're able to have a football season, we know how we're going to try to make it happen. Uh, we'd have our heads in the sand to just say, oh, everything's back to normal. Uh, it's not. But at least there's a plan in place now, which I think, you know, in my mind, gives a little bit more hope that, okay, you know, at least they've, they've fought this through. They, they have an idea of some of the obstacles they're facing here. And they've got a plan to try to figure it out. And it's not going to be easy. But at least they've got a plan in place that hopefully will work out to allow Big Ten football to be played this year. You mentioned fall camp is starting tomorrow. Um, and as we record this, it's 3.47 p.m. on Wednesday. Uh it's a little bit unfortunate that we won't get to see any of camp yet at the same time who really cares because as long as it gets started that's uh, that that's nice in and of itself and and I know Dan I know you wanted to talk a little bit about you know what what would be the biggest things that you would be watching for if we were allowed our one or two hours in there to actually go see practice yeah I mean it does not feel at all like fall camp is starting tomorrow because typically that first day of fall camp usually we get up early usually we get to you know go watch the start of practice at least and you know we'd be doing observations and getting photos and all that unfortunately we're not gonna be able to do that this year because access is going to be very limited uh, this year uh, in-person access is going to be very limited this year uh, because of the pandemic understandably so uh, but it, it, it does give it a very weird feel of it. Oh, fall camp starting tomorrow, but we're not necessarily going to learn much more about the team. Uh, the coaches are, the players are. We're not necessarily going to learn a lot more because uh, we're we're not going to be able to, you know, actually watch it ourselves. So you know, we're we're going to kind of you know get our first real look at the team whenever they they play that first game. But you know, I 
we're at least going to get to start talking to coaches and players more regularly, which you know will give us some insight to what's going on. And you know, I think certainly, you know, if I was going to be there, I mean, I'd I'd be looking, you know, a lot at the defense and especially that secondary because, you know, we, we talked about of Kerry Combs, you know, coming in as a defensive coordinator, you know, now he's got to make up for a lot of lost time as you're looking for free new starters in that secondary and any defensive schematic adjustments you want to make uh you've now got a month to do that when you probably would have been doing a lot of that stuff in spring practice yeah i think that that's naturally where where i lean to as well just because i mean there's a total mystery of what it's going to look like we have a general idea of what the personnel might be we don't even know that but I think it's a two-part question too, because one, you're asking yourself, "All right, how are they going to? How are the cornerbacks going to look? Is the safety going to be Josh Proctor, or is Marcus Hooker going to make a run there?" And then you ask yourself, "Wait a sec, like, is it going to look the exact same as it did last year? Are they going to play more um, two safety looks? How is everything going to look?" And I think that that's one of the harder things um, that that I guess we're probably not going to know the answer to until the season starts and then my other question would be just how how are linebackers looking how is Al Washington figuring out a way to put everybody in in advantageous positions because he's got seven upperclassmen and I'm sure he wants to play all of them as much as he can because they're all talented At, at, at most Big Ten teams these guys would start and in Ohio State, Al Washington's gonna have to figure out how to play seven of them. Um, and I and I don't think like it's a nice thought that you're going to play seven. He's he's not going to actually play seven of them um, major minutes. But but I do wonder what does it look like right now? Is Pete Warner is Sam still, or is he gonna move to Will? What's he doing there? What's Baron Browning playing? Who's gonna be rotating with Tough Borland? I think there's a lot in that back seven to just consider. Yeah, but I think on the other side of the ball, you know, there's you know there's interesting developments there too. Like I would be really interested to see how the freshman quarterbacks are looking. You know that we you know we thought we'd get to watch in spring practice, and that didn't really happen. But you know, I'd be interested to see how are they looking? How's that backup quarterback competition coming along? How's the wide receiver depth chart gonna look like this year? Because we know Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are really good, but we really don't know what the rest of that depth chart's gonna look like right now. Offensive line, of course, there's that right tackle battle between you know Nicholas Petit Frere and Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones. So there's a lot of a lot of there's so much that's still unknown, and I, I do think that a lot of it uh, basically we're gonna know what coaches and players want us to know because uh, we're not gonna be out there watching. And again, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying this to complain because it's it's just the reality of of the situation that. You know they're not going to have us, you know, going to a practice facility this year because uh, you got to keep the players safe and you know it, it to to be bringing in media members uh, who haven't been undergoing the same kind of you know testing protocol. Uh, totally understandably, it is probably not the best way to keep your team safe. Uh, so so that's just the reality that we've got to deal with this year. But uh, it's going to be a lot more of a guessing game. It's going to be a lot more of uh, reading between the lines uh, and and kind of you know hearing what we hear from people over the next month and then you know trying to figure out what's real and what's not and I just don't I think a lot of those questions especially 
you know, again, un unless they want us to know, I think a lot of those questions with the depth chart, uh, a lot of it's just going to remain up in the air until they actually play a football game. Yeah, well, you know what's funny, Dan, is you ran through the whole offense and you actually didn't say my answer to what I would be most interested in. And personally, it's running back because I think I know what Trey Sermon looks like, but I also haven't really seen him play at Ohio State. I, I, I haven't seen him line up beside Justin Fields and take handoffs from him. I would also really like to see where is Master Teague in his recovery from injury because we've seen photos and videos of him back is he a hundred percent and i if he is i, I want to see that and and what does he look like with another year of, of development um and and also marcus crowley and steel chambers i i just think that that position is going to be fascinating to see how it plays out because i think that we are both riding the trey sermon is going to be the starter train but i also want to know what he looks like and what else ohio state has there so like you said, a lot of this is going to be based on what players and coaches say, um, which is always a little bit more difficult to, to parse through than actually seeing things with your own eyes. But I think it'll be it, it would still be fascinating to, to hear and, and see where Trey is and, and the rest of the running backs are and, and sort of their preparation for the season. Yeah, no question, no question about it. Uh, the, the running backs. You know, are are going to be very interesting because of all those reasons that you just mentioned. And yeah, I mean, you know, guys, you know, I I know that's going to be one of the biggest things people are going to be asking us is Master Teague and Cam Bab and you know all these guys that are coming off injuries. Uh, how are they looking? And again, uh, we're we're going to be kind of at the mercy. I mean, we don't we really don't even know. Like fall camp starts tomorrow, we really don't even know like how exactly things are going to go. Like, are they going to provide status reports on? You know whether guys are healthy or not. You know, I imagine we'll probably see some, you know, selectively edited video clips from a program that you know maybe give us some highlights of what's going on uh, behind the scenes. But it's going to be a very different fall camp uh, for us from a media standpoint. Uh, we're still going to cover it the best we can, though. You know, we're still going to be on every, you know, whatever media availability they gives us give us. We're going to be. Uh, on Zoom or on teleconference or whatever it, it entails, and we're we're gonna cover it the best we possibly can. And uh, you know, it, it, at least you know, again, at least there's actual football stuff happening again. I think that's that's the best part of this is at least uh, you know they're gonna be practicing. Uh, I, I think that's undeniably a, a positive step toward the season because I I don't think you'd be starting fall camp tomorrow if you really didn't think there was any chance of a season happening. I know there's people out there that, that think this is all just kicking the can down the road, but I don't think you'd be starting fall camp tomorrow if you didn't think uh, there was a chance the season was going to be played. So I, I think the fact that they are getting into practicing uh, is, is, a good, is a good thing. It's a good step in the right direction, and we'll hope that uh, it's a sign of good things to come. So any other week... In the past five months, <laughs> if this had happened, we probably would have led the show off with it. Uh, and that is Ohio State named its team captains, and they spoke to the media for an hour on Tuesday, um, which was fascinating in and of itself. But if we want to just start off with the captains, they are Tough Borland, Jonathan Cooper, Justin Fields, Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, Justin Hilliard, and Sean Wade. Not a ton of surprises. No, not at all. Uh, I think 
the, the, the first five guys you named, I was really confident that all of them would be captains. Uh, I mean, Tough Borland, of course, uh, second three-time captain in Ohio State history with, with J.T. Barrett. I know he's a polarizing player among the fans, but there was absolutely no question that he was going to be a captain again this year. Uh, Jonathan Cooper, as a returning captain, certainly expected that. Justin Fields, I think you could see the kind of leader that he was last year, that there was really no doubt he was going to be a captain now as a returning starting quarterback. And then Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, I mean, I I just go back to the fact that until yesterday, they were the only two players we had talked to uh, since the pandemic started, which tells you the way they are viewed within the program as representatives for the team. So I was fully expecting both of those guys to be named captains as well because uh, you could just you could just tell you could just tell from talking to those guys and the way ever people talk about them that those are two guys that are absolutely viewed as leaders within the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. Yeah, it is. I think it's a good group. I mean, you have you have guys who I think are natural leaders, but maybe not stars. And Tuff Boylan, Jonathan Cooper, and Justin Hilliard. But those are all guys who have been through a lot, and they're either fifth-year seniors or sixth-year seniors. And then the other four stars. I mean, you have a Heisman Trophy candidate in Justin Fields. You have maybe the best cornerback in the country in Sean Wade. And you have two of the best offensive linemen in the country in Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis. So if we're talking about leaders, this is sort of how you draw it up. Yeah, and I mean, I mean we just got to say, I mean, good for Justin Hilliard. For everything that he's gone through in his Ohio State career, now a six-year senior, uh, all the injuries he's had, uh, a guy who's Ohio State career who, quite frankly, has not gone the way anyone would have drawn it up. But for him to get this opportunity to be a captain uh, is, a, is a nice reward for somebody who's persevered through a lot of adversity. It is, and I guess I probably don't want to go on too much longer, Dan, because we have uh, three things that I think coming up, and he may or may not be one of those three things. Yeah, yeah, we'll... Uh get to that shortly i did want to i did want to praise you for recommending to me that sean wade should have been on my captain predictions over pete warner because i i had predicted pete warner uh you had predicted sean wade so y- you you got that one uh right and i certainly don't disagree with it i i i think uh sean wade is a, a very good choice to be a captain i'm not surprised that he's a captain because i think he's going to be the the clear-cut leader of the secondary this year and i think when you have two other linebackers as captains in borland and hilliard uh, it makes sense to have a captain uh, at another position so certainly uh, a well-deserved recognition for wade and uh, not surprised by that i accept your praise dan that's okay with me one other thing i wanted to get to <laughs> was we, we talked to these guys yesterday and you know there was a lot of different stuff they said and I'm sure some of this stuff might come up when we get into our free things we think as well. But you know, Justin Fields and Sean Wade both both said they're not thinking about opting out. But I just want to pose the question to you. Do you believe them? Yeah, I believe them. Um and I also think that I I thought that, you know, they're smart people. They know that that question was coming. Of course. I mean, I, I actually think it's probably worth noting that I think Ryan Day said this when he was talking to 
a the Sports and Society, uh, what is that, the Sports and Society Initiative at Ohio State, which is um, a group of students um, and the, led by Nicole Kraft, one of the professors. And, you know, he was talking about how before every single time they, they go and, and speak to the media, he tells them sort of the, the theme that they want to, to hit on in those interviews and, and goes over some of the questions that maybe they'll be asked and what they should and shouldn't say. So I, I do think it's it's fair to say that they knew this was coming and it's not like this is an impromptu thing. But I think that their answers were pretty convincing to me that as of right now, if nothing changes, then they will play in the fall. Now, everything changes, obviously, if all of a sudden there are coronavirus outbreaks, if what they talked about, and I know Justin Fields specifically mentioned this, like, what are other schools doing to prevent coronavirus? What happens if uh, what happens when other students come on campus, and and will that be a problem for football? I think those are legitimate questions, and if that's something um, that that changes, you know whether they should should or shouldn't um, opt out. I think that that's fine. But the way that they talked um, on Tuesday makes me think that as of right now, they're going to play. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think I think that again, that's the big the big caveat is, you know, if nothing changes, if certain things change, I think that's the big caveat because I think I think there you know will come a point if things change where, you know, even those guys are going to have to think about it. But I do think right now I I do fully believe. I mean, I don't think they would have been named captains on Tuesday if it wasn't clear to their team that those guys were intending to play. So, uh I do expect them to play. I mean, again, I don't, I don't, I can't say whether, uh, I can't say that for 85 players on the team. I have no idea of it, you know, whether anyone, anyone is going to end up deciding to opt out. You know, I think with a month to the season, I, I think we'll kind of see what happens uh, there with that. But uh, I do think those guys intend to play. And I, and I think a lot of it is too, is the fact that, you know, you talk to these guys, I mean, you talk, both of them talked on Tuesday about winning a national championship and, that's a big part of a draw. I think if you're on a team like an Ohio State or a Clemson or an Alabama where you feel like you have a chance to win a national championship, I think players on those teams might be more inclined not to opt out than a guy on a team who you know maybe maybe feels like he has less incentive to keep playing uh, if, 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 if he's not on a team that's a realistic national title contender. Yeah, I think that I think that that's a fair way to look at it, and that's also probably the way they look at it. I mean, if Justin Fields was at Akron, he's probably not playing, um, and I think that that's fair. And I think that even if they decided not to play this year, I like you also would have to totally understand it, because like when someone like Micah Parsons opts out, and I think some people are like, and and he hasn't announced that yet. That was reported late on Tuesday night, but if that happens, um, and and, and if he decides not to play this season, like, you're talking about someone who all he can do if he plays is something probably that's negative to his NFL draft stock. Because right now, both Sean Wade and Justin Fields are secure as first-round draft picks. And Justin Fields is probably secure as a top-10 draft pick. Probably top five. <laughs> And I think Sean Wade's probably secure as a top 15, top 20 pick, um, potentially higher. And I think that, obviously, they want to play so that Justin Fields wants to play so he can be that number one guy, and Sean Wade wants to play so he can rise like Jeff Okuda did into the top five. 
But if they were to sit out, like what they would be sitting out of in order to accomplish is to make sure that they go high in the draft. I think that that would be totally fair. And I think anybody criticizing them, even if they think that, you know, maybe there are ulterior motives and that they they just want to sit out and, and they want to have an excuse to sit out and COVID-19 is that excuse. Even if you thought that, which I don't think, it, I don't think that would necessarily be fair. Um, I think you would be wrong because these are these are guys who have their future on the line and these are massive paychecks that are sitting there for them and if they play at Ohio State yes they get their nice little scholarship and they get their stipends but that's not the tens of millions of dollars on the other side waiting for them that that would be there whether they play or whether they don't well I think Justin Fields's answer on Tuesday was very telling as well because I think a lot of people think about that risk of you know, what if you get sick? What if you get hurt? What if it hurts your draft stock? But Justin's answer was all about, I don't need the money right now. Which, well, tells me first, first of all, he's got agents who are ready to pay him at least six figures right now to, to sign with them, to opt out of a season, to sign with them and declare for the 2021 NFL draft. Uh, most likely, these other first round draft picks who are opting out most likely they're signing those kind of deals and most likely there are others that are about to do the same thing because uh, that's the way it works uh, so I, I think some guys I think for some guys this is going to be an opportunity where they can look at it and say you know what I can go get paid right now just to train for a year and you know there might not even be a college football season so I might as well just go take the money instead of you know waiting another year and you know, staying in school if I might not even get to play. So I, I think, you know, that really is something that there's going to be guys that look at it that way. But I think for Justin, he's saying, you know, you know, first of all, Justin comes from a financially stable situation. So it's not like he needs the money to support his family right now. Uh, he, he can afford to wait until next spring to, to get paid. And he, he loves to compete. He loves to compete. He loves to play football. That's the kind of guy he is. I mean, you saw it when he was away from campus. You know, he's working out with his, you know, multiple quarterback trainers like every single day down in Georgia. This is a guy who loves to play football. So someone like him, I I think if he made that decision to leave, and then the season happened, and then Ohio State had a chance to go compete for a national championship, I think for someone like him, I think it would eat at him to know that I could have been playing right now. I could have been competing for a national championship, and I'm not. So I, I think everybody has to make their own decision, and I'm not going to judge anyone either way for making the decision because I think you know this is such an unprecedented situation, and and I think you know it, especially if you're a guy who you know is a potential first round NFL draft pick, and you decide, hey, it's just not worth it for me to play in every year of college football I, it, with all this uncertainty going on. I should just go prepare for the NFL draft right now. I wouldn't blame them one bit, but I, I do think it's a different conversation that everybody has to have with themselves. And at least right now, I think, you know, Justin Fields, Sean Wade, Wyatt Davis, all those guys, they're in this boat of, hey, we've got a chance to do something really special here at Ohio State. As long as that opportunity's still on the table, we want to be a part of it. The other captain that we should mention that we both thought would be a captain who wasn't with C.J. Saunders, who was denied by the NCAA. 
his sits year of, of eligibility. And I know, Dan, you think that we should just segue into to three things that we think, our segment where we literally say three things that we've been thinking about the past week. So are you ready for that, or do you have any other points that you wanted to make about the captains? No, let, let's go for it, because I, I know you've got takes on C.J. Saunders, so go for it. Yeah, it's not a really complicated take. It's sort of the take that I said, I don't know, was that a few weeks ago, a month ago? I really don't know at this point. But I just think it's an absolute embarrassment by the NCAA to do this. I mean, when when, when the NCAA says that, or when, when Ryan Day says that they learned recently that the NCAA did not allow C.J. Saunders to have a sixth year of eligibility... If they had said that in February, I would have been like, well, doesn't totally make sense because I feel like he should probably have it given the fact that he was unable to play last year. But do it now, get it out of the way, let him move on with his life. To have them do it, and I guess when he says recently, I have to think, probably probably gave, gave the news recently as in this week, which means in August... In August, C.J. Saunders still did not know whether he should move on with his life and do something else or wait around and see if he can play college football for another year. To wait, what is that, seven, eight months um, from, from when they, they put in the request and, and were expecting to get something back as early as April and to have to put your life on hold that long, that's just ridiculous, and I don't really know how you can have any any other take on it. And I understand, like, there's certain people out there who are, are probably like, why do you have this level of incredulity over a former walk-on who probably wasn't going to, to make that much of an impact on Ohio State this year? And I think that, like, I understand those people, but you're talking about someone who has to put his life on hold for eight months as the NCAA decides um, to do something that ultimately – they tell him he can't do, and and if they had told him that months ago, that would have been fine. And even if they had told him, yes, go ahead, like the wait time would have been ridiculous, but at least they, they, they would have told him at some point whether he can or can't play. Um, so the fact, that, the fact that he had to wait this long and have the answer be no is just mind-numbingly insane. And, and I don't really know how you can think. Otherwise, if I'm being honest, and, and it's a nice story that now he'll be able to be on Ohio State staff in, in some capacity, but the fact that it wasn't that this wasn't decided in, in February, March, April, even like May, sometime during the summer, is, is crazy. When it's the week that it's decided is when Ohio State is supposed to start fall camp. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think, you know, it's, it's, it's really unfortunate uh, it's it's really unfortunate, and you know I I understand you know the the NCAA has certain protocols, and the NCAA is always extremely vague about these things. So we don't really know exactly why his waiver request was denied, why it didn't meet the standards of you know other waiver requests. But you know, first of all, again to your point, yeah, if it wasn't going to meet those standards. The NCAA should have been able to make this decision sooner because, I mean, Justin Hilliard got his six-year approved in, like, October or November or something like that last year. And C.J. Saunders, I mean, C.J. Saunders had already a, a applied for that six-year at this point. So it took the NCAA almost a full year to decide against giving him a six-year of eligibility. And then, you know, you just add on the fact that 
we're talking about a former walk-on. You know, a guy who's worked his way up from being a walk-on to a captain. We're talking about a guy who put himself on the front lines of Ohio State's Black Lives Matter movement this offseason, showing the kind of leadership that the NCAA should want to see from its players. And quite frankly, you know, we're not talking about Justin Fields here. We're, we're, we're not talking about a player who getting an extra year of eligibility is going to make a sizable difference on Ohio State's success this season. It's, it's, it's not as if C.J. Saunders is getting an extra year of eligibility who, who is going to be some massive boost to Ohio State's national championship hopes. We're talking about somebody who's seemingly done everything the right way, had you know an unfortunate break with an injury last year, and I really don't think that giving C.J. Saunders an extra year of eligibility was going to set some uh, incredible precedent that, that the NCAA would not be able to uh, live up to in future cases. So, you know, I think it's disappointing that it, it, it was handled this way, that it took this long, and that it unfortunate res- result they did. Um, you know, that's the way it goes with the NCAA sometimes. But, you know, and, you know, again, he is going to continue to be a part of a program. Uh, he's somebody who wants to get into coaching. So, you know, I, you know, I'm sure it'll be a good opportunity for him to remain around the team and, you know, start to get into coaching this year. Uh, but, yeah, I think the NCAA can handle this one better. What's your first thing that you've been thinking? Well, my first thing that I'm thinking is that Justin Fields is actually a really good quote now. <laughs> because, and just to be honest, you know, I thought last year Justin Fields uh, tended to be pretty guarded with the media, and that's fine. Um, but we really didn't hear a lot of bold comments from Justin Fields in his first year as a starter last year. It tended to be a lot of coach speak. Um, you know, again, totally fine. He's all, you know, smart guy, always pleasant with the media. Uh, not, not saying anything negative, but you just didn't usually get a lot of juicy, spicy quotes out of Justin Fields. And then yesterday, the first time we had talked to him since the end of last season, he's saying he wants to beat the brakes off Michigan. He's saying he wants to be the best quarterback in college football. But that's okay. He'll, he'll settle for having a national championship trophy in front of a Woody. I mean, I, I love that. I love that kind of confidence coming from Justin Fields that, hey, he knows he's really good. He knows his team is really good, and he's not afraid to say it. I love it because he strikes me as someone who has always thought that way, yet has always been told not to necessarily put that out there. And for him to actually start doing that is really fun to see. And I think it shows that he's broken out of his shell, maybe, because I think you come in as a first-year player, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you're a little bit more hesitant to rock the boat. And I think maybe now that he's got a year under his belt, and you know, it probably helps the fact that you know he hadn't done an interview since the end of last season, so he's probably got these thoughts, you know, boiling up in him for all these months that he hasn't talked to the media, uh, and then he finally gets that opportunity. Uh, but yeah, I felt like, I felt like 
on that call on Tuesday, I felt like we saw a different side of Justin Fields. I think we had always seen that confidence on the field. You could you could tell right away that this is a guy who's confident when he's throwing the football. This is a guy who's a confident football player. But you you didn't necessarily you know in his quotes you didn't necessarily uh, you know see that. Whereas I think now you know he's he's put himself out there and 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 I think that. Uh, I, I like it. I'll be I'll be interested to see if that continues all season with just kind of seeing this different, more vocal side of Justin Fields. My second thing I've been thinking is sort of yesterday, it, you know, obviously popped in my head, and you had mentioned it earlier, was for all that Justin Hilliard has gone through, it's amazing to see him still around. I mean, you, you talk about when, when he committed, I wasn't at 11 Warriors, but I still I, – I, I'm not. I think I remember the day he committed, and and I know based on the amount of times that people bring it up that he and Jay Sean Cornell committed on the same day, and they crashed the Eleven Warriors servers <laughs> because that was how excited people were to see him in an Ohio State uniform. And obviously, nothing at all has gone to plan. I mean, he has had just the worst injury luck that anybody can have. And and I'll say this about him: like he's someone who, when you talk to him. And you bring up the injuries, he's a nice guy, so he'll talk about them. But he he does not always strike me as the kind of guy who likes talking about that. I mean, when he talks about you know his goals and what he wants to achieve at Ohio State, he makes sure to say that, that he wants to achieve the same things that he came to Ohio State to achieve, and that is to be a great player for the Buckeyes, to go out and win, beat Michigan, win a national title, and then go to the NFL. And for a guy who's entering sixth year at Ohio State, yeah, I think that could be a little bit of a stretch, but in his mind, he doesn't think that. And then I think that that's part of the mindset that's really kept him going and, and got him to this point. Um, I think that, you know, it's 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 always great to see a story like that where a guy just sticks to it when things don't go as planned. And who knows exactly how this thing's going to turn out, what the season's going to be like for him. I'm not sure that he's going to be a starter. But he's a captain, and I'm sure that he'll have a role on the field, and I think it is great to actually see him make it this far, um, even though nobody in their right mind would have thought that this is how his career would have gone. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird because we're going into his sixth season at Ohio State, and I'm still not sure exactly what his role is going to be for Ohio State's defense because they have so many linebackers, but... I mean, yeah, you, you talk about it. I mean, I think Justin Hilliard's expectation is to be a starter. I think Justin Hilliard wants to be a starting linebacker. I don't know if that's going to happen uh, I don't because they, they got so many other guys, but I I still think it's probably more likely that he's going to be a, a role player in some capacity this year. But, you know, the fact that he's become a captain, I mean, I, you could just hear it in the, the phone call that Ohio State uh, tweeted out on Tuesday, the emotion in his father's voice uh, to, to hear that uh, his son had been named a captain. You know, I think that's just indicative of everything that Justin has gone through, you know, over these years. And, you know, I mean, I mean, quite, quite frankly, you know, a lot of people going through everything Justin had gone through probably wouldn't probably would have just called it at this point. They probably would have just said, you know what, it's time for me to move on with my life. But and that would have been fine. I, yeah. That, that oh, no one, totally no one would have blamed him if he made that decision. But, you know, he stuck it out. I, I think it's very cool that he's being rewarded. Uh, as a captain for his perseverance and hey you never know i mean i i was tagged in a tweet this morning by jim nagy the executive director of the senior bowl 
And and he said that he they absolutely uh, view Justin Hilliard as someone who is an NFL talent. So even if he's not a starter next this year, I mean he's a guy who could who could be at the Senior Bowl uh, in January. He's a, he's a guy who's going to get a look from NFL teams, and that's why he's still here because. He believes he has that kind of ability. I mean, it's a guy who was a five-star recruit out of high school. Uh, we haven't seen that. We haven't we haven't seen him be able to play up to a five-star ability. But he still believes he's got it in him. And 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 you never know. You know, you never know. He, he's still here. And you know, certainly, uh, I, I, in a year that I think leadership is going to be more important than ever because of everything that's going on. To have him back for another year, regardless of what his role ends up being, just to have another veteran leader, a, a guy who's been around and a guy who has so much respect in, within the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, I think that's always a good thing. I'm also not totally ruling out the potential of him starting. And yes, I. Well, I'm not I'm ruling not, it out either. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not predicting it, but I do think if 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 anybody out there is, I think that that would be foolish because we saw what Ohio State did in the spring by moving Pete Warner to Will, and if he moves to Will. I do think Justin Hilliard's the natural guy to slide in as the starting Sam, and that would be fascinating. That would be a heck of a way to end his career, um, and obviously a lot of things need to happen for that to actually fall into place, but I certainly wouldn't rule it out. Dan, what's the second thing you've been thinking? I think Ohio State cornerback commit Jordan Hancock made a really mature decision by choosing to opt out of his senior season of high school football because uh, his parents are both battling uh, health conditions. His mother has been battling breast cancer. It, his father also has a heart condition, and he decided uh, that he would not play his senior year of high school football because he was worried about contracting COVID-19, not for himself, but because he could potentially pass it on to his parents, and you know, certainly his parents would both be in the higher-risk category uh, so he, he made a decision, you know, in the best interest of his family that he should not play high school football this year. And I'm sure that was a really hard decision for him to make, but I applaud him for that decision because, uh, you, you know, you had mentioned it last week when we, when we were asked the question by one of our listeners about, you know, would you play this, this year? And I think, I, I think for a college player, you know, in, in some respects, it might actually be a slightly easier decision just because you're not going to be around your family. You're going to be mostly around people, you know, your own age who might not be in that higher risk category. But I think if you're a high school football player or a high school athlete of any kind, I mean, actually just a high school student, if you're going back to in-person classes, I mean, these are the kind of things you've got to think about, If especially if you have a, a parent who is in a higher risk category for whatever reason. And so, you know, I applaud him for making, you know, a decision that he felt was in the best interest of his family. Uh, certainly he's got Ohio State's uh, full support in, in making that decision. And, you know, I, I think, again, I think it illustrates just the complexity of this whole situation where, you know, unfortunately it, a young man who's a really talented football player has to make that decision to say, I can't play football this year because as much as I love playing football, I might put my parents at higher risk if I do it. Yeah, I think it, and I think that that also, you know, there are probably people on Ohio State's football team right now who are faced with making similar decisions and whether they want to or not. And I think that, 
you know, that is a decision that is so incredibly hard, but I do applaud him for actually being able to, to put himself out there and and make that decision and know that, like, Ohio State is behind you and you're going to end up playing for Gary Gomes and all will be right in the long term, but that's still such a tough decision to make in the moment. And uh, what, What's your third thing that you yeah, want to talk about? My third thing is... I'm still Team Marcus Williamson. I still I feel like I need to just put myself out there as camp opens and just sit on this corner because I think people when they talk about Ohio State's defensive backfield they immediately obviously start with Sean Wade and then they go to either Josh Proctor or they go to Seven Banks and Cam Brown. And I think Sean Wade, when he was asked about who's going to be the starting slot corner and he said, you know, I don't really know, but don't overlook. Marcus Williamson, I had basically written that exact article, what, a month and a half ago or something like that, and I think it bears repeating because, you know, the way that Ohio State plays its um, cornerbacks with Kerry Combs back, I think it's absolutely possible that Cam Brown and Seven Banks could stay on the outside and rotate, and then you have a guy like Marcus Williamson, who is a senior, um, in his last opportunity to play big minutes, to, to, play, to play big snaps, I think that... I think he could be in line to be a starter, and I think that a lot of people are overlooking him just simply based on the fact that in his first three years at Ohio State, it's not like he's been on the field a ton, but he's someone who's been beset by injuries and also been behind great cornerbacks, and I'm not saying that he's the Nets' first-round pick. I'm just saying he might be a starter at Ohio State, and I think a lot of people aren't really talking about him. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, to be honest, I think I was Team Marcus Williamson before you were. So it's possible. Uh, I know that we're both sitting on that island. I don't know necessarily who else is with us. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I mean, I think there's a very good chance he'll be the starting uh, slot corner, especially because you had this weird off season, and I think he's really the only guy other than Sean Wade moving outside who is really you know, played that position at all, is really regularly practiced at that position. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of it is going to depend on what happens over the next four weeks. Uh, but I, I do think, you know, he he might be the front runner for that spot, you know, even though he doesn't get as much attention as some of the other defensive backs. Uh, I, I do think he's going to play this year. I think uh, he, whether he's the starter or not, I think he's going to have a, a role this year, and I don't think he's a guy that should be overlooked. Your last thing that you've been thinking is what? I mean, this could be a whole podcast episode if we wanted to do it at some point. And I, I think actually Hovenot asked us about this last week. And, you know, we're running out of time here again. So we're not going to really be able to get into the details of it again. But it's just something I've been thinking a lot over the past week. And you just, just to boil it down to a simple sentence here, this year is going to change college sports forever. And I don't know exactly what those changes are going to be yet. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but you know you see the movements that's taking place right now. You see what the Pac-12 players put out on Sunday, and I don't know if their demands were realistic, at least in terms of this season. But you know they're demanding, you know they think they should be getting 50% of revenue and that uh, coach salaries should be decreased and uh, you know, a lot of different other things that, you know, they're threatening to opt out if those demands are not met. And then uh, the Big Ten came out with a, a, a 
uh, Unity proposal on Wednesday morning that I think was more realistic in terms of, you know, things for this year. It was more directly related, you know, to COVID-19 and, you know, medical protections they'd like to see take place. And I think that was, you know, more realistic in terms of things that could happen immediately. But I think you see this groundswell of players starting to speak up. Um, you know, I, I think this whole pandemic has, you know, really put the NCAA's uh, position on amateurism on even thinner ice than it already was. You know, and then you start hearing about some of the stuff about, you know, if, if the NCAA cancels fall championships, the Power Five might break away or the Power Five might do their own thing. Uh, you know, you could have, you know, conferences going rogue here and you know playing even if others don't and i i just think that when all this is said and done there's gonna be some aspects of college sports but even you know when there's a vaccine and 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 the covid19 pandemic you know has faded faded there are gonna be things that have changed because of the way this year has played out that are going to be permanent changes there's going to be things that just don't go back to quote-unquote normal as a result of this year. So I don't know exactly what it's going to look like because things change by the day, by the hour. But I do think that this year is going to change college sports forever. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you have you have major things that are going to change. You have small things that are going to change. I mean, someone last night was replying back to, to a tweet I had asking if, you know, or, um, could you see someone like Micah Parsons or Sean Wade or Justin Fields sitting out future seasons um, if they have one year of eligibility left and they could be first round pits. I think that's something that maybe could happen and this could open the door to. And I think that that's where it's like you want to get through this period and figure out what it's like on the other side. Because once you get through the COVID-19 pandemic, you still have a lot changing in college athletics. And I think that you make the fair point that a lot will change. And the, the problem right now is we don't necessarily know the specifics. I think it's really, really hard to figure out how this is going to play out because you have a million and a half moving parts right now. Yeah. I mean, it's it everything, I mean, everything changes. You know, when we talk to you next week, there's going to be things that have changed from this week because that's just the way this year goes. But I just think, I think this is going to, I mean, in so many ways, I mean, just to say college sports, this year is going to change the world. This year is going to change a lot of things in life just because this has been such a, uh, this pandemic has been such a life-changing event for everyone. That there's going to be a lot of things that change. But I think specifically to college sports, I, I do think this is going to change certain dynamics in college sports, for better or for worse. Uh, you know, I, I can't say whether it'll be better or worse because I don't know what the changes are going to be. But I, I, I do think there's going to be certain dynamics change and and i do think it, it makes it important for people who are involved in college athletics to make smart decisions here because i think if you make the wrong decisions here you have the potential to do permanent damage to college sports i think you really need to think everything through here and try to think about how your decisions right now could impact the future because i i i, I do think if the wrong decisions are made and I can't even specify what those are because there's just so many different, you know, things out there. But I, I think if you make the wrong decisions about certain things, you know, it, 
it could really hurt college sports long term. But I think most of all, it's 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 not so much better or worse. It's just the fact that I just think certain things are are going to look different in the future because of conversations that we've been forced to have this year that maybe had been put off longer than they should have been. That is very fair. We got a few questions, Dan, before we wrap this this thing up um, that, that I think that we should take. I guess maybe only... Uh... Well, we, we had some <laughs> questions. Um, I'm making the executive decision this week to skip the questions about food and stuff that have nothing to do with college sports because I yes. it's been a very newsy week and I mean there's actually been a little bit of news happening while we've been recording there's been the college football playoff uh, moving its rankings back and you know in, in news that I know is going to devastate uh, many members of the media it, it sounds like bowl weeks are going to be substantially shortened this year uh, so for the media members who spend the whole year looking forward to a week of drinking at a bowl game sounds like that's probably not going to happen this year. Uh, but uh, to get back to the point, uh, if you asked questions about uh, stuff that's completely unrelated to the topics of the day, we're, we're going to save those for next week. Uh, but we did get a couple questions uh, that were relevant. Uh, one was asked about uh, officials and, and, and how are they going to officiate games this year. Um does this lead to a more digital refereeing system in the future, a la tennis? How would you do it? I would say that I don't know all the details. I do know from looking briefly at the Big Ten's medical protocols today that uh, I know the officials are going to be expected to uh, be tested every week, uh, maintain uh, – I, I think they will be asked to maintain social distancing as much as possible. Uh, I'm not sure yet what the protocol will be in terms of, you know, whether they'll be wearing masks and whatnot. Uh, I know there's been a lot of talk about them using electronic whistles because uh, you don't want to have their, you know, mouths on the whistles and, uh, you know, spreading germs that way by blowing into a whistle. Uh, so I think it will look a little bit different. I, I don't know all the details, but again, just going back to the last point that I made, I, I'm sure that there will be some ways that officiating changes this year you know, I look at something like electronic whistles. To me, if that works, there's no reason that couldn't just be a permanent change because I, I don't know. I'm not an officiating expert, but I would think if electronic whistles work fine, there'd be no reason why that couldn't just be a permanent change for the sport. Yeah, I, I expect that they'll wear some sort of mask or, or face shield or, or something like that as well um, to get as much protection as they can, but... Yeah, I mean, your answer is about as good as I know right now because, I'll be honest, I was focused on mostly other stuff than referees. and I. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the videos of, like, like I saw one, of, like, last week, or I think it was in MLB, where the umpire and the manager were going to argue with each other, and as they were walking toward each other, they both put their masks on, which yeah, is so a very, gorgeous. very 2020 uh, thing to do. So, yeah, I would expect they will be wearing, you know, face shields and you know i would expect you know you know they're gonna coaches are gonna be asked to you know keep their distance as much as possible and i know i know the coin toss this year uh you know usually you see you know four players from each team out there i know this year it's going to be just uh one player from each team and uh, just one official so uh certainly uh they're going to be asking officials to take whatever precautions they can just like anyone else 
last second and last question. John Glor eight two eight seven. Is there a missed opportunity to have a Big Ten rivalry week? Yeah, this was part of what he said because he basically just asked us to talk about the schedule and most of the things that uh, John mentioned we were already going to talk about anyway as we did earlier in the show. But I, I thought this was an interesting uh, point that he made that I wouldn't have thought of otherwise. Is you know should should the Big Ten have moved you know all those rivalry games to you know one week you know for Ohio State Michigan. Uh, you know, you could have had, you know, other rivalry games uh, from throughout the conference uh, that s- same week. I think the tough thing for the Big Ten that, like, compared to maybe SEC and the ACC is I think the Big Ten, it's one rivalry and then everything else. Like, there are other rivalries in the Big Ten, but Ohio State-Michigan is just so far above every other rivalry in the Big Ten. I just don't think any of the others really quite compare to where I've ever ever really even like thought of that possibility of a rivalry week just because I just don't I just don't know that any of them are on the same scale. And I I'll say this, I think that if there's a rivalry week this year it would have to be like week one. <laughs> like I don't think you can plan for a rivalry week in October because things can and probably will change by then. So I think a rivalry week good idea about impossible this year unless you want to do it week one and even then like who knows if this plane's getting off the ground when it's supposed to yeah i mean i think the whole thing about this year's schedule is you're just trying to make it work it it, this schedule it's not about it's not about you know traditions it's not about you know i mean i mean certainly like i said tv networks are involved uh there's no question about that but you know, this this is all about trying to make it work. And everyone's going to have to be flexible. Games are probably going to get moved around. Uh, you know, there you know there could be weeks where, you know, there could be weeks where there's only a couple Big Ten games happening because things have to be moved around. Uh, everyone's going to have to be flexible uh, this year. And I think the goal is just to play as many of the games as possible. And I think if that happens, uh, everyone's everyone's going to be about as happy as they can be because uh, beggars cannot be choosers this year. Uh, we, we just have to uh, embrace the schedule for whatever it is, enjoy whatever games we're able to get, and uh, you know, hopefully hopefully, it'll be you know, a full 10-game regular season schedule for the Big Ten and then some postseason as well. I will take whatever we can get, Dan. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. But you know what? It, it felt good to really just talk mostly about football this week. I mean, obviously, all of these conversations, uh, COVID-19 is a part of them, and that's going to be the way it is. If, even once the football season starts, uh, it's going to be something that we're talking about because it's not going away. But it, it does feel good to break down a schedule, to talk about what we're looking for in fall camp, to talk about captains because it feels like football again it, it it feels good to know that camp's coming up and you know we're going to be able to write about and talk about more stuff that's actually happening on the field right now instead of just looking ahead so we're certainly hoping that it stays that way uh, we're also hoping everybody stays safe and we, we're not going to ignore the realities that are out there uh just just in hopes of the season but uh, I think you know we're all hoping that the season's going to happen. I know you guys are if you're listening to this show, and I know players are as well. So 
uh, we're going to hope for the best. We are, and uh, I look forward to next week breaking down a little bit of fall camp. Presumably, I'm going to cross my fingers right now and say that hopefully this thing doesn't fall apart in one week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's the whole uh, question. But we do know fall camp is starting on Thursday. Uh, we know Ryan Day is supposed to talk to the media tomorrow, so I- I'm sure we're going to have plenty to talk about next week. So uh, yes. we'll definitely plan on having another episode. And uh, we thank you guys once again for listening in again, and we'll talk to you again next week.